Minehead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 5th of November 2023. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me. My name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week Tommy continued our series looking at the studies in 1 Thessalonians. He looked at the day of the Lord. The reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. So we'll go and join Tommy as he's introducing the service. Everyone. Morning. There's this uh, chaplain at college, um, and he's one of those very, very perceptive men. You know, that the kind of, those individuals that they can say so much in so few words, and, they, and you want to glean their wisdom from them. And it, it, there's this thing where he'll walk into the room, and he'll stand at the front, and then it all goes silent. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Give it a few decades. Um... But welcome, everyone. My name's Tommy. I'm one of the ministers here at Minehead Baptist Church, and I'll be leading you with everyone else here in the service this morning. Um, yeah. In terms of, I'll be, in terms of notices, there's quite, quite a few, uh, so bear with me. Uh, next Saturday, there is the men's breakfast at 8 here. Well, hey. And so it's five pounds, and uh, recommended five pounds for that. And there's a guy called Dave who's preaching. Don't know what his second name is, can't remember. Hartwood. Hopwood. Dave Hopwood. Highly recommended. Oh, he's brilliant, you say. Goodness, well, if you're going to attend the men's breakfast, you've got Dave Hopwood, which is exciting. Another, Another notice is... This is Richard's Hip Hip Hooray 30th birthday card. If you haven't signed it, Lorraine will have it uh, after the service ends and you can sign in it. Although that being said, there is very little space left. Um, But be creative, you know, you'll find some space. And then similarly, um, well, well, similarly insofar as Lorraine will be the one to go to, you're invited to the Christmas fair at the Hub. Saturday the 9th of December, 2023, from 1 p.m. until 4 p.m. Um, so there'll be refreshments, games, crafts, uh, nearly new toy stall, um, bric-a-brac, cake, all that good stuff that we love. And Lorraine will have... If you want to put posters up, Lorraine's got some. So approach Lorraine if you want to sign the card and if you want to take a poster. Two more things. So an update on Paul for prayer. As you know, Paul, the other minister here, suddenly lost his voice two weeks ago. Oh. And this... <laughs> uh, and then um, <laughs> this is still yet to return... And has led him to go into the doctors last Friday. He's been advised that the most likely cause is a viral infection, probably of or near the vocal cords. And whilst he's generally feeling better, he has been ordered not to use his voice and to rest. (laughs) He's been ordered to rest while, while other tests are carried out. As you can imagine, for Paul, this is not easy. And so um, he'll be limiting the amount of speaking and meetings he does this week. So please pray for Paul. 
that the Lord would heal him, that the voice, that the voice of Paul McCabe would return, and that at this time, when he is unable to speak, the Lord, in his silence, would speak to him. May this be the occasion where the Lord speaks to him profoundly. And final thing, and this is more of a personal thing, but I would really encourage guys who are free and willing and able to attend morning prayers on a Monday. Um, If you weren't aware, Monday morning, 9.30 till 10.15, we have prayers at the hub. And I'm telling you, it is perhaps one of the highlights of my week. Um, The image I have is almost like Google Maps. You know how like when you're scrolling through Google Maps and you see your little arrow on the phone, and then eventually, if you're not careful, you'll get lost, and you're like, oh, where's my phone? Where's my arrow? I don't know where I am on the map. And then you press the recenter button, and it brings you back to where you are on the map. For me, prayers on a Monday morning are that moment of recentering. When I lay out everything, when we lay out together everything that's on our hearts, we experience the Lord. Um, and so it's a really special time. So if um, you have the time and are willing and able, I would strongly encourage you to, to come to morning prayers uh, at the hub. So it's 9.30 till 10.15. And so, with all that said and done, uh, I will hand you over to the worship leaders who will lead us in our first few songs of praise. I think first, though, um, as a family, we like to celebrate birthdays, don't we? And one of the good things about having Facebook, this is one of the good things about having Facebook, is um, you get to hear about people's birthdays. And I know this week that it's been Teddy's ninth birthday. Yeah. Now, I didn't see anybody else's come up, so is it anybody else's birthday that we can sing to? Anyone else? Oh. Janice. Janice. Okay. And Pauline's birthday last week. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so should we sing happy birthday to Janice, Pauline, and Teddy? Yeah? Right. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Janice, Teddy, and Pauline. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. And when, as, as we're still in the music mode, welcome and can we stand and we're going to sing, Lord, the light of your love. And as we sing, we're going to take up your offering. So if you have your offering ready, uh, visitors, please don't feel that you have to... Um, put anything in the offering but if you would like to thank you very very much Lord the light of your love is shining in the midst of the dark take our communion quite early in the service today while the children are still in. And I notice we haven't got the grapes. So parents, it's up to you if you feel it's fine for your children to take communion. Okay, that's up to the parents to sort out whether you feel it's fine for the children to take communion. Tommy phoned me up yesterday and said, you know, would I come and lead communion? 
And um, immediately, a particular, I can say a particular verse of Scripture, not even a verse of Scripture, a particular sentence from Scripture came to my mind. And if you could just put this verse up. Thank you. In fact, it's, not, it's only part of a sentence. The sentence that came to me, or the section that came to me, that I really wanted us to think about as we take this communion this morning, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. When we come to communion, it's only appropriate that we think so much of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we think of that word love, and that word love, it's, it's here, personified in Jesus himself. It's only right when we come to take communion that the word grace should be very sort of much in our minds. Grace. And I know many of you know that old acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. God giving to us what we didn't deserve. But I wonder how often we think of that word punishment. Punishment. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. But he's a just God. And justice demands that wrong should be dealt with. I deserve the punishment of God because I have sinned. You deserve the punishment of God because you have sinned. And if you say sin, I'm not a sinner, you've done things you shouldn't have done. You've said things you shouldn't have said. All of us have come short of that standard which is God's. And Jesus was being punished for us. He was being punished for us. And so I'd just like us to just spend a few moments in silence thinking, I deserve God's punishment. And he put it on Jesus. There on the cross, the justice of God was being meted out. It reminds me of a story which I heard, I never knew if it was true or not, but of a judge who finds, you know, he made his decision and he fined the person a hundred pounds and then wrote out a cheque for a hundred pounds and paid, the, paid, the, paid it himself. That's what God has done. He said, you deserve it. And then he's paid it himself. Let's just think quietly for a few moments. The punishment taken from me, put on him. Lord, we come before you this morning and thank you that we are now free. This punishment that was placed upon Jesus has brought us peace. Peace with you. We are in right relationship with you. 
because Jesus bore our sins upon the cross. And this morning as we take this bread and we drink of this cup, we come and remember with thankful hearts what I should have endured, Jesus endured for me. And we come with thankful hearts. Oh Lord, you're a God of justice, but we thank you, you're a God of love, you're a God of mercy. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. And as we come to take communion, we'll just think again of those words that are used again and again. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And while the bread is being distributed, you have time to consider yourself. And if as you consider, you realise, I'm not right with God. I'll say, don't say, in that case I can't take communion. In that case, confess it. Put it right there and then so, so that we can share together. I'm going to ask, sometimes we wait and we hold the wine until we've all been served. I'm going to ask this morning, we do it with the bread as well. We hold the bread until we've all been served and we take it together in unity. In the previous chapter in Corinthians it says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. And that loaf had a name. Jesus, the bread of life. Could the servers come forward please? Jesus took the bread and when he broke it, he pointed out that this was to symbolise his body given for us. So please hold on until we've all been served and we'll take together of the bread. Lord, we're so thankful that you came from heaven and you took upon yourself the form of a man eventually to give that body as a sacrifice for us. Thank you for the body of Jesus laid down for my sake, for our sake. Amen. Let's eat and be thankful. And Jesus.
Jesus said of the cup, the cup of the new covenant. Again and again, I'm so glad we're living under the new covenant and not the old one. Isn't it wonderful? Once and for all, the blood was shed. Again, please hang on to the wine until we've all been served. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But thank you, Lord, the blood has been shed. Again and again, when I lead communion, involved with communion, my mind goes back to an old hymn. I'm not sure if you ever sang it here. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'll be leading us in our prayers of intercession. And I was told that today is international prayer for the persecuted church day. And so as we pray, we're going to incorporate that into all that we are lifting up to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you demonstrated your love in this, that whilst we were still sinners, you died for us. For that we are thankful. We thank you. And we could spend a thousand years just on that point alone and barely scratch the surface. We thank you. But we lift up the persecuted church. We lift up the church in places such as Sudan, as North Korea, China. Lebanon, Palestine. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon them. Would you give them strength? Would you give them comfort? Would you supply everything they need spiritually and physically? And we pray that your Holy Spirit would pour out into their hearts and out of them into the community. As it says in John 7, come to me all who are thirsty and drink, for as it says in the scriptures, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. We pray that in your churches in these places, your living water would flow. You transform communities, transform nations. And Lord, in those places where the, where the persecution is the most intense, where even saying you're a Christian can lead to death, we pray for your comfort and for the power of your Holy Spirit to work through them. I'm going to recite Psalm 16 and, and use that as a template for prayer. Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. 
I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Lord, would you preserve those in the persecuted church as they take refuge in you? Would they say to Lord, Lord their God, that they have no other God apart from them? And would they trust in you when the, when the people around them, when the powers that be around them tempt them to fall astray? Would they declare, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Verse 3, it says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Lord, would you comfort those in the persecuted church who are lonely, who are feeling isolated? Those individuals that have perhaps just become a Christian and they don't know where to turn in these places. Would you provide them with community? Would they find the other saints in the land, the excellent ones? And would they find delight and community together? In verse 4 it says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not accept or take their names on my lips. Lord Jesus, we pray for the persecuted church that they would not take the, the, gods of other, the names of other gods on their lips. Would they not bow down to, to the leaders that tell them to deny Jesus? Would you give them the strength to do so? The Lord, in verse 5 it says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And that you hold my lot. Lord, we pray for your church. That the portion you would give them is one of strength, of courage, of hope in this time of difficulty. Pray for those particularly in, in North Korea at this moment who, who don't even have enough physical portions to sustain their physical bodies. Would you sustain them physically and spiritually? Would you hold them in your hands? Would all those, despite the persecution, be able to say, as it says in verse 6, that the lines have fallen for them in pleasant places and that they have a beautiful inheritance? Would they be encouraged by the hope that they have in Jesus Christ? And would Christians all around the world who are persecuted be able to say, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel, as it says in verse 7. That even in the night, would you instruct their hearts? Lord Jesus, in all these places where, where the enemy seeks to lead their hearts away, lead their hearts away to other concerns, would they be able to say, as it says in verse 8, I have set the Lord before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Would they not be shaken, Lord? And as it says in verses 9 to 11, would their heart be glad and would their whole being rejoice? Would their flesh dwell secure in the hope that you will not abandon their body to Sheol, to the place of the dead? You will not let your holy ones see corruption. Would you make known to these people in the persecuted church, would you make known to them the paths of life and in your presence would they find fullness of joy. And at your right hand would they discover pleasures forevermore. Jesus, 
Would you pour out your spirit and grow the persecuted church? Grow them in strength. Grow them in their love for you, in their holiness, in their depth of of, of relationship with you. And would you work through them to grow them numerically? That more and more people will love Jesus and know that you love them. Lord Jesus, we also lift up our local church and our local context. We lift up uh, Paul in, in prayer and pray that in this time of, of being silenced, um, in this time of, of struggle, would, he, would his heart be glad and his whole being rejoice? Would he discover fullness of joy in your presence? And would you heal him? And I pray for the sickness that seems to be hovering around so many members of our church. Lord, we pray for healing and restoration. And that in this time, the the illness would be the occasion in which you draw people nearer to you. That what the enemy intended for evil, you would use for good. We pray for our our young people, that you help them to grow in the love of God, that they would love Jesus and be obedient to him. Would they set the Lord always before them so that their right hand would not be shaken? Would our young people be able to say, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices? For you will not abandon my soul to the dead. Would they know fullness of joy in your presence? And would they experience pleasures forevermore at your right hand, now and in the age to come? And Lord, we just ask that your spirit would work through us today, tomorrow, in the next week, in the next month, year, decade, century. However long until you return, Lord, would we be obedient to you and glorify you? And would we be pleasing in your eyes? And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's, let's close in prayer by, by saying the Lord's Prayer in whatever language and whatever model you're familiar with. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. If you can all grab your Bibles that you've all brought with you. I'm going to say it every time. <laughs> because I, th- I think it was Tommy saying last week, wasn't it, that it, this is our bread of life. This is our, this is us. This is our, this is our life. Right? Our life-giving breath. Your word to me, O Lord, 
is worth more than thousands of pieces of gold and silver, it says in Psalm 119. Yeah, so I was really challenged by that last week. It's so easy to get out of the habit of reading it. Right, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm reading from verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. I love those words, build each other up and encourage each other. Amen. And Lord, we just pray for Tommy as he brings your word that, Lord, you will anoint it. The very word that goes from him, Lord, I pray, Father God, will achieve the purpose for which it was sent. Bless it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. First page turn. It's quite, quite pleased with that. Thank you, Sue. Mm. I love this passage. Um, as I was praying and pondering a bit more on it last night, I was just... You know when you have a sense of, of, of when you're in the day, wherever you are in the day, and, and you, you, you experience such a sense of joy and excitement and contentment? For me, I, I just experienced that warmth and joy as I was reading this passage again last night. And so I'm, it's an immense privilege to be able to be used by God, Lord willing, to speak to you guys about it and to have some fun and to, to learn a new thing, be reminded of old things, and to be challenged. So, let's dive in. So, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which obviously means there's been four chapters beforehand, so for those of you who maybe haven't kept up or you're visiting, essentially, this letter has been one of encouragement to the Thessalonians for their for their faith, love, and hope in Jesus. He encourages them in their times of difficulty and trial. He also pastorally prays for them, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for you, for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 
May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So he's pastorally encouraging these people. He's, he's commending them for their faith, hope, and love. And he also instructs them in this culture, a culture where it's driven by pleasure, driven by people going off on their own desires, in chapter 4, verses 3 to 8, where it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control their own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, that in this matter no one should wrong his brother and sister or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not, us, did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he, rejects, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So he's encouraging, but he's also challenging and instructing, warning. He then says they are to show brotherly love in the rest of chapter 4. In then Paul speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus in the, in the passage uh, that was preached on last week. And, you know, I, I guess I gave a, <laughs> a mildly controversial take on the rapture, insofar as I suspect many people hadn't heard that take on it before. Um, and if you're unaware, if you weren't, didn't, didn't know what I said, I would recommend you listen to last week's preach online or chat to me after. <laughs> um, ultimately, whatever it meant... Last week's passage, which was on the rapture, it was written, as it says in verse 18, to encourage one another. Christ is returning, and we who pledge our allegiance to him will be with him, and we will ultimately see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will be with him and him with us. And so, it is in this context this hope, this longing of the arrival of Jesus Christ that we go into verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5. And so in verse 1, it says, you don't need to worry about times and dates. Hmm. It's interesting because this, uh, this arrival of the day of the Lord is coming at a time, it will come like a thief in the night. It will come at a time when you're not expecting, when everyone is saying, ah, there is peace and security. And so we'll get on to what the day of the Lord means. But what's interesting is that it says, you do not know what time it will arrive. As it says in Mark, Mark 13, verse 32, it says the following. Jesus says the following. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Which for me is a challenge because I'm very tempted. I don't know about you guys, but in my brain, I'm always, I'm, there's a habit I have where I'm like, I wonder if it'll be at this time, this date, this year, whatever. Well, I want to imitate Jesus because I'm a Christian, in case you didn't know. And I love Jesus. And I do not think I'm better than Jesus. And so I'm not going to assume I know something that Christ didn't know. That's... We'll leave it there. That's not to say we shouldn't be aware and prepared, but the reality is we don't know the time. 
We don't know when Christ is arriving. It will come like a thief in the night. It will be a surprise. And so, what is the day of the Lord? Last week it was the rapture. Now this week is the day of the Lord. I I feel like I was given a double whammy. Um, (laughs) So, the day of the Lord, I don't know what... What images this strikes up in you? Uh, for me, it was this idea when Christ will return and, and judgment happens and, 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 and everything will be made well. Injustice will happen. Uh, injustice will be dealt with. Injustice will be dealt with. Oops. And, and behold, I see a new heavens and a new earth. And tears and suffering are no more. And they're just a memory. And we will be with God and he will be with us. But the reality is, this, this word, this phrase, the day of the Lord, it's, it's, it requires a bit of story time with Tommy, I'm afraid. We're going to have to go through the story of the Bible. Because it is something that is really, really deep and really, really profound. But it's rooted in the context of the story of the people of God throughout Scripture. Okay, so we're going to go on a little journey. I, you know I like my big picture stuff, because it helps us... The big picture stuff helps us get to grips with the details. That's what I believe. And so, it requires a bit of of understanding about God's justice, a bit about God's plan for his people, and it requires a bit of an understanding about Babylon. Which will be exciting. So let's go. Genesis chapter 11. I'm always going to go back to Genesis if you're going to do bingo with Tommy when he does his sermons, one of the things that always come up in Tommy's bingo is that he'll bring, back Genesis, bring it back to Genesis in some way. So Genesis chapter 11, there is a story of the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon. And it's this, this image of, 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 a, of a people, a nation who want to become like God. Let us go to the heavens. Let us be like God. We don't need to trust in God. We're going to do things our own way. And so God... He intervenes and disperses them because they want to do things their own way. They don't want to trust in God. They they build with brick and mortar the Tower of Babel. I don't know why it says Babel in our English words because it's the same word that's used for Babylon elsewhere. So in my head, it helps to think of it as the Tower of Babylon. But it's this archetype of, of oppression, of injustice. It's like the thing that opposes the will of God. That is what Babylon is. And so God intervenes. And he, he, he prevents Babylon from exercising rule and authority over the world apart from that which is God's, uh, God's plan. And so we move into Exodus. And in Exodus 1 verse 14, there's this interesting verse. Now the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And it says that the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians made the Israelites' lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar. And with all kinds of work in the fields, in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Where have we heard brick and mortar before up until this point? It's only been mentioned once before, and that's in the Tower of Babel. So the Egyptians have become like Babylon again. An oppressive system that oppresses the people of God and goes against the will of God. But God delivers them. If we go to Exodus 14, verses 30 to 31, the Egyptians have gone through the water and God has dealt with the Egyptians. 
It's fun to hear all the pages going as you're trying to keep up. Bless you guys. Um, That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then in Exodus 13, verse 3, it says, Moses said to the people, commemorate this day. The day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. And so, in the, in the, in the mindset of the Israelites, both in the dealing of Babylon in Genesis 11 and the dealing of Egypt, the day of the Lord is associated with deliverance from oppression, deliverance from sin, deliverance from the violent, oppressive systems of the world. As one scholar put it, God confronts human evil in scripture. If an empire doesn't submit itself to God's rule and liberate the oppressed, God will orchestrate events to bring about its downfall and replace it with his own kingdom. That is what the day of the Lord was to the Israelites. It was the, it was the day where the Lord would, would, would go against and orchestrate events to bring about the downfall of empires that are oppressive to his people. That is what the day of the Lord is in the image of the Israelites. And so this, is, this, this, this image of, of, of the day of the Lord is to deal with this oppression and to deal with the Babylonian way of doing things. Babylon almost becomes like this, this archetype. Sorry for that word, archetype. And, and it's like the, the example of what we are to not do, basically. But the issue is, throughout scripture, as I'm sure many of you know, the Israelites, as much as they would love to be the royal uh, priesthood to the nations, they themselves become like Babylon. So in in 1 Kings, Solomon's kingdom looks more and more like Egypt and Babylon. He spends seven years building the temple with slave labor, 14 years building his own palace. So he spends more time on his own palace than on on the Lord's. And then he marries Pharaoh's daughter and accepts her dowry, which accepts a gift of the Canaanite city of Giza, which the Pharaoh had burned and cleared. So he gains gifts that come from oppression. He imports 666 talents of gold per year. 666. Hmm. Hundreds of gold shields, all these different things, all these things that symbolize oppression and all the things that are actually commanded against what the kings should do in Deuteronomy. They, don't, they shouldn't take lots of gold. They shouldn't have multiple wives. Don't take horses from Egypt, which is what Solomon does. And so Israel becomes like Babylon. Man, the people of God themselves have become like the very thing God did not want. And so we see in the prophets, such as in Amos 5.18, it's Amos is saying to the Israelites, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light to you. Because you have become Babylon. If you want God to bring the day of the Lord, you're the ones participating in oppression. So that's going to take place on you. In Habakkuk, verse, at chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, 
God says this to Israel who has become like Babylon. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. God uses Babylon to counter Babylon. That's how bad it's got. Israel has become like Babylon, and so God uses Babylon to take down Babylon. It's pretty dark. It's pretty dismal. But the thing is, it's not, the day of the Lord is not just a thing that happens at one point in time. Oh, let's hope the day of the Lord happens to these people or to these people. All of these things are sort of putting up this picture in our minds of a time when the ultimate day of the Lord will happen. So in Joel chapter 2 verses 31 to 32 it says this. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the the survivors who the Lord calls. So the day of the Lord was a place of an idea of deliverance from oppression. And there's coming a time where there will be an ultimate day of the Lord. In Jerusalem there will be ultimate deliverance as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And so we, the Old Testament ends with a hope that the day of the Lord will ultimately take place. And so we come to Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ, he was raised in a time when there was a Babylon, a Babylonian-style nation that was oppressing the Jews and that Babylonian esque city was Rome that was the nation that was oppressing the Israelites and so they were hoping awaiting the arrival of a king who would deliver them on the day of the Lord from the Romans but Christ flips the picture because he does not at that point enact the the day of the Lord on the Romans Rather, he takes the day of the Lord upon himself. He takes the punishment that was meant to be for those of the world upon himself. As we were, was wonderfully illustrated in, in, in the communion, we, we, await, we were awaiting a person who would take the day of the Lord upon himself because we couldn't do it ourselves. If we were to stand up before God, and that a list of all the things we've done was to be laid out in front of us, we would experience the justice of God in a way that we do not want to. In Hebrews 10, it says it's a fearful thing to be in, in the hands of, of, of God. But Christ took the day of the Lord upon himself and allows us into a relationship with him. So that whoever, as it said in Joel, calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. They will not experience this day of the Lord that is coming. And then, I did start in Genesis, so that inevitably means I'm going to have to finish in in Revelation. Revelation 11, verse 8. There is a promise that the ultimate day of the Lord will arrive. 
So in, in this imagery, it's showing justice happening against those who are against God. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Sodom, Gomorrah, Egypt, Babylon, they're all these images, these ideas of oppression upon people. And the Lord will deal with it on the day of the Lord. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 8. It says, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which makes all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And then one final verse in chapter 18, verse 21. A mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. Never to be found again. So, for the Thessalonians, they know the day of the Lord is coming. The time when they will be freed from oppression. When the world will be freed from injustice. Where the Lord will deal justly with those who go against his will. When Babylon will be dealt with this huge arc, this huge opposer of God, Babylon, Satan, the great dragon, the serpent. Babylon's going to be dealt with because the day of the Lord is coming. And that should be encouragement for us. In verse, verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians, you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. If you pledge your allegiance to Christ, if you say Jesus Christ is Lord in your heart, if you come to him with a repentant heart, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Justice will take place. We see, you just need to take 30 seconds scrolling through BBC News to know that things are not right in this world. We know it, we feel it in our hearts. We feel it internally. We're like, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. The day of the Lord is coming to bring justice. To right the wrongs that have been, ta- have been done. And for us as, as, as believers, we have, a, we have a place in that kingdom. We trust in the Lord. And so, with that encouragement, Paul says in verses 6 to to 7, he says, Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a, as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You see it in Isaiah, you see it in Ephesians. 
Ephesians 6, yes. And so, yeah, we, we, have, we, we have a hope, and that should give us great encouragement, but it also should make us sober to the reality that, that we have a role to play now and that we have, a, have a, a life and a call to the mission of God's gospel right now. Let us not be asleep, which is to say, let us not be spiritually unaware and oblivious to what God is doing. Let us not be tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine, as it says elsewhere. Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith, that our actions and, our, and our, our words and our deeds and our lives be committed to God as a living sacrifice to him. Because in verse 9 it says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, another way of saying whether we've died already or are still alive when Jesus returns, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Mm. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us encourage one another. Let us support one another. Let us be brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. We are not individuals in this church. We are a body. And just as if I'm missing my thumb, I can't hold anything. And I notice the difference that it takes on my body if I can't use my thumbs, or if I'm missing an eye or two, or if I have toothache that makes me experience such immense pain that I can't think about anything else. We are all indi- we're not individuals in this church. We are a body. And the actions that we do in this body affect the rest of the body. So let us be a body. Let us encourage and support one another. Let us challenge each other in love. But we are a body. We're not individuals. We are individuals insofar as we can come to Christ and experience that salvation. And God is working in us individually. But let us not lose the fact that we are the body of Christ. And let us be sober to that reality. And let us be sober in our own lives, being attentive to the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. It'll be a day of judgment. In Peter, I believe, it says it's a day of of judgment, of fire, of, of the new heavens and the new earth appearing. And, and we have joy that we are part of the new family and that we will be part of the, those who are saved. But let, let us be sober in our reality that we, we have actions, we have roles that we have right now, that we have 
we have roles and, and, and callings. And, and, and God calls us every day to be faithful. So let us be sober in that reality. And let us build and encourage one another. Let us build each other up. Just as in fact you are doing. But the day of the Lord is coming. Where we will be with Christ. And he will be with us. Let's pray. Spirit, this is a this is a heavy word. God, this is a this is an intense word. Speaking of significant and severe and sobering things. May we glorify you with our actions. May the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up high in our lives and in our church. In your church. Help us to be attentive to the needs of others. Help us to be truly people who are the image of God. Who, who bring blessing to those around us. Who help others to know Jesus. Who help others to know Jesus more. We pray for your blessing. And, and ask that you would stir up in our hearts whatever... Whatever promptings you've given to us this morning, would you, would you help us to ponder these things and to convict us and to challenge us and to encourage us that the day of the Lord is coming, that justice is coming, and that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And so I read a priestly blessing to those who pledged their allegiance to the Lord. And I say it to us now who pledge our allegiance to the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. To leave a comment, please go to minehead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening and I'll speak to you soon.